Ephesians 6, 19 through 24. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that ye may also know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with them, with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity again. When I read this passage, this is probably the last communication Paul will ever have with this little body of believers. And he's saying goodbye, but he's also showing the relationship that he has with them. I'm going to do something a little different today than I did last week. Remember last week we went through the armor of God and we looked at the armor of God and we fast forwarded one generation to Revelations 2, 1 through 5. And we asked the question, they got off track. By reading the armor of God, which piece of armor did they forget to put on when they got to Revelations 2, 1 through 5? And we realized it could have been one of a couple things. Well, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 20 and look at a time when this church was first starting. Okay? Last week we looked to see where they were in a generation later to see how they got off course. We're going to go back and see the start. And I want to impress upon you that a lot of times when we look at Ephesians, it's got some great theology in there. It's got some rich doctrine in there. But we should never forget, it is a letter of a pastor written to the members that he worked with day and night for years, and they had a close, intimate relationship. We can never forget that. So it's kind of a duh, but the title of this message is Ephesians was written to a church, not to a seminary school, not to the elect family of God, even though the elect family of God can benefit of it. It still was specifically written to a local group of believers. And I want to know what we can glean from that. Okay. So, With that being said, let me make a couple comments. I'm going to divide this passage up into three sections. The first two verses, 19 and 20, basically he's saying, listen, guys, you know how I've ministered to you. And we're going to go through that when we read Acts chapter 20. But he says, I've got to go other places. And I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. Because... If, if it wasn't for God and the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, I am simply banging my gums. I'm making noise. I'm just rattle, making rattled sounds. Lord, bless me not only what to say, but how to say it. He could say things perfectly right, but in the wrong spirit, and he's going to turn people off. He can say the wrong thing in the right spirit, and you know what? Let people astray. He needs both. And he's begging these people to pray. 
some of the most encouraging words are, not after a sermon, Lord, this is my witness. Brother Dolph, that was a great sermon. I really enjoyed that. Or, Brother Dolph, I paid for you three times this week. Wow, that's going to knock me on my knees. Okay? That's Paul. He's covering those prayers. 21 and 22. This relationship is continuing to go back and forth. Now, they don't have FaceTime and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, all the other things that people communicate with. They sent people on boats with letters. It took a long time. You thought the Pony Express was slow? This was even slower, right? But that ye also may know my affairs and how, to, how I do Tychicus. Tychicus would be a great Bible study. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things. He says, I sent them. You know what? I sent them. I did not want you to worry about me. Yes, I'm sending to give you an update. I'm not sending to an update so I can get some more money from you. I'm sending you an update so you won't worry about me. They cared about their pastor. This was not a cold theological statement written on paper. It was a love letter between people. Whom I have sent you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, that he might comfort your hearts. I don't want you to worry about me. And then finally, 23, the close. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all of them that love our Lord, Jesus Christ in sincerity. He's talking to you. Okay, so let's go back and prove it. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to go back to Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 17. That's a couple dozen verses. And we're going to go through these. No, not a couple dozen. Maybe a little over one dozen. Okay, maybe one and a half. I'm going to start reading in 17. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. This is Paul, and if you ever... Some, some Bibles do a good job of having maps of Paul's evangelistic trips. And if you'll notice, he looped through the uh, Mediterranean Sea region three times. And he'd been to Ephesus, I believe, on all three occasions. And on one occasion, uh, on a later occasion, he actually wrote from a city and he called the elders from Ephesus and he says, I want to meet with you. Okay? So this is not to the whole church. He was in one city near Ephesus, and he called the pastors to come. And this is a discussion he had with the pastors. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. I can't, I can't pass this up. Notice New Testament churches, everyone I've read so far, I found an S on the end. They had more than one elder. That's a good thing. We could have another elder. Maybe a young one come along. And then after a while, I turn aside and I help him and he helps me. You know, that kind of thing. That is God's plan. We can pray for that. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons 
He is reflecting on the intimacy he has with these preacher brethren. They've got a relationship, and you know when I've been with you, okay? 19, serving the Lord with all humanity of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you and have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. My friends, this was an intimate relationship. Now, this is why I'm preaching this. This is why I'm stressing this. There has been a trend in America away from church meetings. This was trend was going on before COVID. COVID just sped it up. But there is a trend away from church meetings. And God designed the local church. And through this and the next couple passages we look at, I want to try to stress the importance of a local church, what you get out of it. Let me, let me just try to entice you, okay? Number one, and we're going we're gonna to see all this play out. God often returns the members of a local church is body parts. Do you realize you get something out of the entire body you can't get on an iPod or a podcast? You can't get it. Here's another thing. God promises to show his face in the midst of a worship congregation that you can't get on your car radio. You can't do it. Okay? God, and, and, and I know you're saying, oh, he's the pastor, and he's the church thing, he's just doing the church thing because that's what pastors do. No, this is a scripture thing. Okay? God has designed pastors to feed the sheep. I know my sheep. I know who's good with a budget. I know who's not. I know who's quick to anger. I know who's not. I know how you voted. And I love you anyway. <laughs> Even though some of you make it kind of hard. No, I'm just teasing. I know when it's time to get out of the valley and get the least, get out of the clover and go to the plateau where the grass is thinner. The guy on the radio doesn't. The guy on sermon audio doesn't. I was talking with, we had, a, and I've, I've shared this before, there was a member of, in our church that got really elderly. This particular member passed a while ago. But all he ever wanted to talk about was revelations. He spent his whole day watching television and and the 700 Club and reading these fantastic books. And whenever I went to him, that's all he wanted to talk about. And I would not talk about it with him. You think, you're a mean pastor. No, I'm like the dad 
that sit down at the smorgasbord and his son's going through and he does pulls them away from the dessert bar and say, get your vegetables. I said, you don't need that right now. Well, as a pastor of a church, God has given us insight. And we're going to see later on, it says, feed the church whom God has made you overseer of. Uh, We just went through the book of Ephesians. I know this congregation, and I know this congregation is not up to a verse-by-verse analysis that would take two years. It might be for some churches, but not Mount Olive Church. How could I tell? I tried to do that in Galatians about three years ago. Do you understand? When you peruse, basically you're going rogue. And God has designed a pastor to look over for a flock to see what they need and when they need it. Now, it doesn't mean I'm perfect and I do it perfectly, but that's God's design. When we go rote, we don't get that. That's what local churches are for, let alone the interaction of committing to each other that we're going to see in a second. I got a little off track. I'm sorry. I'm still in Acts chapter 20. Let me go to verse 21 testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. Okay, so let's go to verse um, 24. 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He's talking about a real people with a real relationship and a real love with each other. Ephesians was written to a local church. This is not a theological paper. It's an intimate paper. Verse 26, Wherefore I take to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed to you therefore, therefore unto yourselves, unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He's telling the pastors of this local church to feed your local church. And you know what your church needs and you know when they need it. And you know when the rams are stepping on the lambs or bullying the lambs. You know how to feed them and make sure they get fed too. You know which ones are straying off on the edge of the pasture. You know which ones are fussing because they want to stay in the lower clover and it's time to go up there and they're going to fight and resist you again. You know who those people are. You grab them and you bring them along with the flock. That's what he's telling them. Verse 29 I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them. He's telling this local church that heretics will come from the outside and test you. That heretics will come up and spring within your membership and test you. 
He's telling you, be careful, pastors. God has put you in charge of this flock and you make sure you stay the course. You submit to scripture and nothing else. People will run interference and try to run you off course. Now, I don't control what you watch on the radios and the, the podcasts and, and, and the sermon audios and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I can't control all that. I don't know what you're getting. But when you come on Sunday, I know what you're getting. And that was God's design. Now you're thinking, oh boy, sounds like a dictatorship going on right now. No. There's some food that this congregation needs. And whoever your pastor was, past, present, future, that's the one you vote to feed you. Okay? A couple more verses in Acts 20. Verse 31. Therefore, watch, remember that in the space of three years, I cease not to warn you night and day. This is where you see the relationship. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, when you see on multiple occasions when he was praying for these people, he knew them. It was not a blanket prayer for the church of God, all the elect family of God throughout the country of America or throughout the world. It was not that kind of prayer. He was praying for people he labored with day and night. He knew them. They knew him. They knew his weaknesses too. That's why I says, I know you. Well, unfortunately, you know me too. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. You know what he's telling? He said, I was a tent maker. And you watched me. I was not asking for your money. You watched me go out at night and with these hands make tents. There's only one way that can happen. They knew each other. Paul wrote a church, not a theological statement. Is there good theology in the letter? Yes. But first, it's a letter of relationship. God was all about local churches. Verse 35. I have showed you. There's only one way to show, and that's be present and model and be an example. All things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. Paul, how do I support the weak? You watched me do it for three years. Do what I did. Well, let me rephrase it. Do what I did as long as I'm doing what Jesus did. Follow me as I follow Christ. Yes? And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. How do you do it? You saw me do it. You watch me do it, right? That's how you do it. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Verse 37. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, souring most of all the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship, and they said their goodbyes, and he sailed away, and they never saw him again. My friends, when Paul wrote the epistle of Ephesians, he was writing to people he was intimate with. 
he was writing a local church that had everything they needed. When he talks about the body of Christ, he's talking about a local church. They did not need some council board way up here. This local church had everything they need. They did not have an association of sister churches. They had everything they need in and of themselves. Now you're thinking, oh, there's Brother Dolph. He's going isolationist again. No, I'm going word of God. I communicate with other pastors. We have other pastors come in. We've had at least three this year that I know I can remember. So uh, it's not isolation. But I handpick who comes and preaches to you. Why? Because it's the oversight to feed the flock and I know what kind of food you need. So I pick those. So let's go back to the book of Ephesians and let's read some of these passages that we read so casually. I want you to know that Ephesians has great doctrine in it, but it's the doctrine as he's speaking to a local church who's got a relationship that have a relationship with each other. It's not some nebulous elect family of God that's spread and you don't know who it is and who it's not. These are committed people that he's writing. First passage I want to read is in Ephesians 2. There, 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 you, you've got to want to mistake this to understand that it's not talking about a local church or the elect family of God. It may sound like it at first, but let's read this whole passage. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. 19 and 20 reads, Now therefore ye, who are the ye? The saints in this place That's who he's talking to. Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and of the household of God. Now he's talking about a local church here. Look at this. Let's keep on going. This local church has a foundation and the foundation of this local church are the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Well, isn't that true of the elect family of God? Yeah, but it's also true of a local church and let's keep on reading. In whom... All the building framed, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God. This local church is made up of local members. Ye are the stones that form this building. And in this building, the Holy Spirit dwells, God dwells, and that's where people come to find God, right here. That's what we are. Chapter 4, let me start reading at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, this is where he gave the gifts, the offices, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. My friends, you have the ability as a local church to have the fullness of Christ. As long as you have this and the Holy Spirit, you've got everything you need. Christ is the head of this local body. Let us never forget. It's never one member. It's never one family. It's never one office. Jesus Christ is the head of this body and it is full. This pastor, this deacon, 
these members, these lifelong members, you are simply parts of this body with God being the head, but you're complete. You've got everything you need. The trend in our country is a way, I wrote these down. You you know some of the best selling Christian books are right now? Let me read you a couple titles. Dear Church, kind of like a Dear John letter, people are leaving the church. Here's another title, Quitting the Church. There's another title, Life After Church. And here's a fourth, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. These are current Christian books trying to address this. And some of these were written before COVID. COVID has only made it worse. You think, yeah, but I can get a sermon online. The young people say, wow, it's just so much more efficient. And I say, amen. You don't have to drive here. You don't have to get ready. You don't have to take a shower. You don't have to put on your antiperspirant. Thank you for doing that. The women are saying, (laughs) one of the silliest things I ever heard of is having women cook a full meal at 8 o'clock in the morning so they can go to church and have dinner on the grounds. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, it is an inconvenience, isn't it? But it's God's pattern. And probably the biggest thing, the most important thing is, your children will see you make a public dedication and commitment to God and the worship of God. That when you come and you make that time every single Sunday morning and you come here and worship publicly, they will see that. That's important for the next generation. They will not see you listening to all your iPads at 8 o'clock at night or in the car when you're driving home or driving to work or when you're on the exercise machine. You can do that, but that's not God's design. God's design is to sing together, to pray together, to hear each other's requests, (coughs) to get the food that the man that's watching you is looking and seeing what this body needs. That's God's design. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, by the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Listen to Christian radio. I've got some really good points. But I've heard some garbage on there too. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. There's Jesus Christ, the head of the local church again. And then finally, you know this verse. I probably wore it out in the last 10 years. You knew I was going there. There is no way you could read verse 16 and think that's the elect family of God. That's talking about a local church. It's talking about being fitly joined together. It's talking about every joint supplying. It's talking about every part making increase of the body. It's talking about a group of believers that are committed one to another, that are joined one to another, that have close relationships with one another, and have effectual relationships one with another. That's what this God designed here on earth. I was reading from a man that 
was a quote-unquote successful minister and started a couple megachurches. And at the end of his life, in his late 80s, you know what he came to the conclusion? I can't pastor more than 200 people. Can't do it. Can't do it the way God would have me to do it. Can't do it. It's God's design. Let me read a couple things. I'm going to cherry pick from this book. We've been through all this verse by verse. In verse 1, 16 through 23, Paul's praying for this group of people, and he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. How long do you think it took Paul to do his bedtime prayers before he went to bed, given in all the cities he went to? He said he named them name by name. Wow. My friends, it was an intimate relationship he had that he wrote these people. In chapter 3, he prayed again. Remember when we went through this? We said chapter 1 was a head prayer. Chapter 3 was a heart prayer. Did you realize that was the problem in Revelations 2? Do you think he looked at this church and said, you know what, they have a tendency of falling off the edge this way. I'm going to pray for them right now in chapter 3. And one generation later, sure enough, that's where it went. He prayed for that heart thing. Yes, he knew them. And then verse 6, he, he, he closed with the prayer of faith. Okay. I want to reread chapter 1. And I want you to reread it in a way thinking Paul's writing a church. He's not making a theological statement of how to convert people, how to save people, how to make children of God. That's not what he's doing. When he uses the plural pronoun, we, us, and our, he's talking about him being the pastor and the members of that local church. And all of a sudden you realize and he's saying, these are people that have heard the gospel, that have been baptized, that have dedicated their life to following Jesus Christ, are committed to a local church. When he says, we, us, and our, and this is what's happened to us, he's not giving you the formula of how to get adopted. He's talking to people. He has a relationship. And when he says us, it's, it's, it's like a dad gathering all his children at a Thanksgiving table. And he says we and us. That doesn't include all the students he's ever taught. Doesn't include every, all, the, all, the, all the athletes he's ever coached. <clears throat> he said we, us, we got something. I may have some of those things with those people on the outside, but he's talking about that group. I believe this is like a father talking to his children. Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Daughters and sons, do you realize what God has done for the six of us? Seven of us. I'm going to my wife. I'm sorry. I don't want to leave her out. Do you realize what God has blessed us? Us seven. Maybe I got to go to nine, including two daughter-in-laws. Do you realize how God has blessed us nine? He chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He hath predestinated us, us nine. He's predestinated us. He has adopted us to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise and his glory, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Do you realize us nine are accepted in God? in whom we have redemption. Guys, he's redeemed us. The nine of us, he redeemed us. 
This is how Paul's writing this epistle. It's not a formula of how to get adopted. He's sitting with his family telling them what God has already done for the nine of them. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom. Not only did he do all these things for us, he told us about it. We're already sitting at the Thanksgiving table. Dad's talking to him already in the family. And we're giving thanks because he told us about it. He made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasures. If he did it, you wouldn't be sitting at this Thanksgiving table. Verse 10. Now, he does make a switch and he goes to elect family of God right here in verse 10. But there's a definite switch. That in the dispensation of the fullness times he might gather together in one all things. He's coming back and he's going to get all of his children and that includes the nine of us. In whom we have also obtained an inheritance predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of the Lord's own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Listen, us nine, we trusted in Christ. There are special blessings that come with that. He's not giving the formula of how to get into the family. He's telling of the blessings that you have because you are in the family. And he's talking to people that are already in the family. And he's just pouring out his love and his heart. And then he says in verse 13, Whom ye trusted, when ye heard the word, and ye heard about your salvation, and ye believed it, and ye were sealed with the Holy Ghost. You're sitting at the table and these things have been done to you. And we have this together. Wow. This is what a local church is. This is how I can talk to a local church. Now we hold this Sunday evening service and supposedly visitors will be coming. And it's an outreach and that's fine. I don't talk on Sunday night like I do on Sunday morning. There's an us and a we and an hour that I don't have with the folks on Sunday night. I'm going to preach my heart out anyway, and I hope they can be a we, us, and our. Amen? But there's a special bond there, and that's what Paul is writing to this, this church. Okay, a couple more verses. Five. Is it five? Five. Five more verses. First of all, in chapter 1, 15 and 16... And then 22 and 23, he says, you know what? This is, this is dad talking. Let me, let me tell you what I think these verses are telling us. Because I want to wrap this up kind of quick. Here's dad talking to his children. It's like a Thanksgiving meal. But this time he's doing it through a letter. He's not at the dinner table. And we don't, the turkey's not on the table. And he's telling him, listen... I'm not going to be the patriarch anymore. The time of my departing is at hand. He says, I'm going to give you instructions. When I'm gone, I want you to know how to treat each other. Okay? When I'm gone, I want you to know how to treat your mom. When I'm gone, I want you to know how to raise your children. That's what he's telling these people. He's talking to his family. 
Paul had received a good report concerning his biological children. That's what it says. He says, I heard of your faith and your love towards your siblings. No, it doesn't say siblings. It says towards the brethren. But that's what he's saying. He says, I was away from you. And while I was gone, I heard how you brothers and sisters were acting with each other. That is not the elect family of God. That's a local church. In 4, 1 through 6, Paul was preparing his children for a time when he would not be able to guide them. And he says, guys, you have one truth and one truth giver. And it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. Keep that at the forefront. You know all those submissions I taught you in Ephesians 5, 6, 6, 6, 1 and 6, 4? This is the most important one. Submit to this word. It's the most important submission. 4, 31 in chapter 5 through 2. Paul were preparing children to care for mom, each other, spouses, and their children. There's a whole bunch of one another's in that pastor passage. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted one another, forgiving one another, and commit to one another. But I never got along with his brother. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgive and commit to them. Chapter 5, 21, submitting to yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Okay, this is typically what happens. You know, you heard of chickens in a coop, there's a pecking order, yeah? There's the top chicken or rooster, and then they go boom, 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 all the way down. I guess dogs do that in packs, there's a pecking order, yeah, all the way down. Well, sometimes that happens with siblings in a fit. This one says no pecking order. Y'all submit one to another. This is how you do it. And by the way, that applies you to the you pastors over there. You elders at the Church of Ephesus, you submit too. <clears throat> and then chapter 6, 10 through 18, I am taking incredible liberty here. But what if we looked at the armor of God, not for individuals, but for this local church? Okay, think about the armor of God. Have you ever seen one of those old time movies when a Roman soldiers were coming and they were marching? And they faced an enemy, and it was always a pagan enemy, and these pagans were all dressed real crazy looking. And all of a sudden, there was this volley of arrows that came. Do you remember what the Roman soldiers did? They took their shields. They got really close together. They got side by side. And about half of them put their shields in front of them. So they made a wall in front of them. The other half took their shields and put it on top of them. And they went and they had those shields side by side. Right? That's the way they did it in the army. What if that's the way a local church did? What if we applied this armor of God and we applied it collectively to a local church? Would we have a powerful church? I think so. What if I said, oh no, I left this crack over and Sister Melanie says, don't worry, Brother Dolph, I got it. She took hers and he just slid it over a little bit. Right? What a church that would be, huh? And that's it. So, I pray that when we read the book of Ephesians, yes, we get the rich doctrine out of there and we get the rich rich practical messages out of there. But we never forget Paul was writing a group of people in a local setting that were committed to each other, that had everything they needed. They were full of Christ just as long as Christ was the head, the Holy Spirit was inviting them and this was their authority. They had everything they needed. The book of Ephesians. It's done. Three months later, it's done. 